preach you in Jesus' name this morning. I have been assigned a weekend in Pennsylvania. On the title, I will build my church, so I thought, well, maybe we'll build church here too. So, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 16. This will be the theme of my next three sermons here. Matthew 16. Let's start at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. But I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So here we have... Uh, account of Jesus relating to his disciples, teaching them. Uh, the, the title of the first message that I'm going to be preaching today is the purpose and ministry of the church. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he's he he begins with starting to probe their thoughts. He, he's wanting to know what they're thinking, and so he asks them. He says, "So." Who, who do people around? What are they saying? Who are they saying that I am? And they got all kinds of answers. They, they say, you know, this person, that person, and so forth, and that, that's, that's what people are saying. That's, that's what you're hearing. And then he gets around and he says, who do you say? that I am. I ask you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? Peter had an accurate response when Jesus says, Peter, who do you say? Jesus says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it isn't important Does it matter what I think of Jesus? Does it matter who I say he is? I would propose this morning it is extremely crucial who Jesus is. Peter says he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we have God the Father. We have Christ, the Son of the Father. Christ is part of the Trinity. One of the creeds puts it this way. 
The Father who is made of none, neither created nor begotten. Christ is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and the Son, not made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. All three being one. So we have God the Father. Jesus Christ is the begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit is being constantly created, flowing out of God the Father into our lives today. So it's not a static thing necessarily. It is being constantly poured out. And so, does that matter? A.W. Tozer once said, and it was a very, it is a very profound statement. He said, every man's problem, every problem that man has ever faced in the entire history of man will always go back to his concept of God. Every single problem. Now you think about that. I would say every man's spiritual advancement also goes back, is rooted in their concept of God. So, what if Jesus wasn't part of the Godhead? There would be no rock. There would be no foundation. On which to build a church. We would be playing games this morning. Playing games. It would all be a farce. It would be up for grabs whose church this is then. But then who would care? I, I wouldn't be interested in going to this church if Arnie was the founder of the church because Arnie's dead. I wish he were here today. It would make my life a lot easier. It would. Many, many times I wish I could say, Arnie, what would you do? But he's not, all right? And we're not going to be here a hundred years from now, all right? So... If the church is going to be alive, if the church is going to be functional, if the church has something to stand on, it has to be on Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what it has to be. And Jesus says, I will build this church and that church, but no other church. He says, I will build my church. No, it's not Warren's church. It's not Cleon's church. It's not 
in reality our church. It is Christ's church. And because it's Christ's church, and because we have chosen to be a part of that, then it becomes ours. But that's secondary to the fact that it is Christ. It is Christ who is the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, Jesus said, it's mine and I will build it. So what's it for? So did God send Jesus down here and then Jesus died and then God says, now what are we going to do next? Let me see. Let me see. Well, maybe we'll have church. No. No, 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 no. God in his foreknowledge, in his wisdom, long before the creation of this earth, had a plan for his church. It was before the world was formed. It was before you and I were were created. It will be there long after you and I are gone, and it will be there long after the world is burned up. And so, it's not something that was an afterthought. In fact, of the matter, if you really think it through, the church, has to be more than you and I could ever comprehend. Because to comprehend everything that God knows, thinks about, has in store for, has plans for in the church, if we knew it all, then we would have to have the infinitude of God within us, and that is impossible. Because God knows everything about the church. Dwight's taking a stab at it, but he keeps saying, I, you know, I don't have time and I don't understand all this and I'm not sure what all happened here, but this is what came, you know, and this is some of the dynamics and all, and he's, he's, he's struggling up here to tell us, God has all that. He knows all that. All the way back. He, I mean, you talk about a historian, he give every single thought that anybody ever thought in every, any, specific congregation at any time and point in time and why they made a decision they did and everything else and why we're sitting here today. And he knows if the Lord doesn't return all the dynamics of Prairie Mennonite Church five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now, and twenty years from now. He knows it all. That's sobering to me. However, God in his wisdom has given us a book that tells us what his will is in regards to the church and what the church is supposed to look like.
So what did Jesus say about his job on the earth? I would like to look at how, how, how Christ related to God and how Christ relates to the church and how we are supposed to be related to Christ and, and, and look at all this, all, try to look, pull these dynamics together. Because if we're going to have church, we're going to have to understand how and what kind of, uh, of, of plan that God had in relating to Christ and him passing that on to us. What was Jesus' first words? Anybody tell me. Starts with how. First recorded words. How was it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Why are you looking for me? Don't you understand that I am the greatest businessman that ever lived? And I've got business to do. Jesus says, I've got my father's business to take care of. And by the way, men, if your business is not the father's business, you are in the wrong business. And you may say, now wait a minute, that business is different than Jesus' business. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. If it is, it's in the wrong. It's, you got your priorities messed up. So Jesus, when he was in the temple, he set out his mission. He stated his mission. And he says in Luke, if you want to turn to that, Luke 4, verse 18. He stood up and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are abused are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He said, that is my business. When the Jews was giving him a hard time, in John 8, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So Jesus says, I, I didn't decide to come. God had a mission for me. I was sent on a mission. And he said, if you loved the man who, the, the person who sent me on the mission, you would love me. Do you have a mission? What is our 
mission. What does God want from us? What did God tell us through Jesus Christ that our mission should be? Turn with me to John 17. We call it the highest priestly prayer. And we, and we, and, and it is, it is Jesus just pouring, pouring his heart out to the Father in relation to those that are following him, which we are here today, right? Sure. So we want to look at what God through Jesus is transferring to us as the church then we will understand our mission and that mission is a corporate mission just notice as we go through John 17, it doesn't say he, he, she, they. It says they. That's what it says. So this is a corporate mission. This is what God God wants for us as stated through Jesus Christ, starting at verse 1. These words Jesus spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest to me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Notice where he starts. Jesus asked disciples, who do you say that I am? Jesus starts with a definition of life eternal. And what is that? This is life eternal. What is it? That we know God. Now, not just who we say he is, but that we know him on a personal level. This is life eternal. This is going to get us the power of God in our life and ultimately life in the future. That we know God. And we know God first. He puts us in priority. He says that you know God first and then you know me, his son, next. And if we're going to glorify the Father and if we're going to glorify Jesus, then we have to accomplish the work that God has assigned to us to do. You see, God has, Micah, he has a job just for you. Every single person. 
personally and is a job for every single person corporately verse 6 I have manifested my name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world thine they were and thou gavest them me and I have kept thy word now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me and they have received them and have known surely that I came from thee and they have believed that thou didst sent me I pray for them I pray not for the world but for them which hath thou hast given me for they are thine and all thine are mine and thine and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them one thing I notice here that even though Jesus called his disciples he says that they are a gift of God that is a profound statement do I look at believers around me as a gift from God he said you gave them to me Jesus in his effort to teach them through his life resulted in the in the in the disciples being convinced that he was on a mission. In other words, Jesus' teaching didn't have an end uh, uh, an end to it. It had it it was to produce something greater. He said, "Because I how I taught convinced them that he was on a mission from the Father." Number three in this section, it says, For they are thine. God, Jesus did not view his disciples as his own personal trophies. He didn't view them as his own personal trophies. And number four in this section, it says, all mine are thine, and thine are mine. He did not see any accomplishment that he made here as a personal success. Whatever happened to you, whatever God gave him, they were God's. God's was his, his was God's. They, 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 like, there, there was no claiming success. That's profound. If in my feeble effort for God something is accomplished, who gets the credit who gets the credit verse 11 now I am no more in the world but these are in the world I come to thee holy father keep through thine own name those 
whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. None of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them the word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The first thing I see in this section, that God wants us to be one. Jesus wants us to be one like he and God are one. Brothers and sisters, where do we start from that one? Where would you start on that one? You see, God sent Jesus. Jesus sends us. We're all in it together. And Jesus says, the reason I want you to be all together like I and the Father are, so that you can enjoy the, you can have the joy that I experience. And he says an important thing about that is that we need to take God's word as it is given and we need to keep ourselves separate from the world. He said, I don't want you to take them out, but I want you to be want them to be separate while they're in. Verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Personal sanctification is the result of absorbing the word of God. And our personal sanctification influences those following us. Jesus said, I sanctified myself for our benefit those that follow him he said that's why I sanctified myself how Jesus did that when he was perfect I can't explain but he said he did so I have to take that for what it's worth verse 20 neither I pray I for these alone for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, and they may be one even as we are one. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect and one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. The authenticity of Christ in the eyes of the world are reinforced by our ability to be one. As God's people, and one with Jesus Christ. That makes Christianity authentic in the eyes of the unsaved. Because Christ's love for us is then revealed to others that are not saved. Father, I will also, in verse 24, whom thou hast, Father, I will 
that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared them un- declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me, me may be in them, and I in them. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus said. Notice, he says, it all started before the foundation of the world, and it's all going to end up after the world is gone. Full circle. So our responsibility starts with God, and it ends with God. You know, when Jesus was baptized it says in Matthew 3 and Jesus when he was baptized went straightway up out of the water and lo the heavens were opened unto him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased all that Jesus did on this earth he could rest in the security that he was doing the will of the father That he was following God's will. He was in submission to God. That he knew that all his efforts were not wasted. Because his relationship with those over him. Now, if you want to see a church in chaos, try to have one where authority is not recognized or respected. I wasn't even sure if I was going to preach this sermon. It was like this kind of the sermon that you preach somebody else at church, but um, okay. Just, just hold on with me for just a little bit. All right, just, just hang on. <clears throat> Our effectiveness is in pro- direct proportion to how we relate over us to those over us in authority. Now, if you think that I'm talking about myself as the ultimate authority in this congregation, you can just forget it, because. The authority of Jesus Christ is so far and above any levels of authority in a congregation. All right? It's scary. I I don't know if you've ever been a bishop or not, and you probably haven't. Okay, so uh, I don't know. Okay, but this is the way it is. It's scary. I almost am tempted to think, uh, to, to quote, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. I mean, you know, it's like... Serious. But we need to, we need to serve in joyful submission to every level of authority that God has placed over us, whether in the church, whether it's in, in our 
business, uh, whatever it is. Kings is supreme, in authority. God talks about that. It is always to my detriment. If I resist authority that God has placed over me, it's always to my detriment. If you don't believe it, just try to go 80 miles an hour down the freeway. Or 90 miles an hour. Resist the authority of the person that put up the sign. Now, question to the children. Uh, who's worth more in your house? Mom or dad? This is a tough question. Think, think hard. This, think really hard. Who's worth more in, in, in your house? Mom, mom or dad? Who's worth more? <clears throat> Anybody willing to take a shot at it? That's a hard one, isn't it? Who's worth more? Sometimes I do some light reading. I picked up this book that I inherited from my folks. It's called The Humorous Lincoln. In response to a request from a New York firm for information as to the financial rating of one of his Springfield neighbors, Lincoln wrote the following. I am well acquainted with Mr. Blank and know his circumstances. First of all, he has a wife and a baby. Together they ought to be worth $50,000 to any man. Well, in today's money, that was 1860, so in today's money that's a good million. Good million apiece, all right? Secondly, he has an office in which there is a table worth a dollar fifty and three chairs worth, say, a dollar. Last of all, there is in one corner a large rat hole which will bear looking into. Respectfully, A. Lincoln. Who's worth more, mom or dad? I don't have the answers yet. From the time I was 17 to the time I was 18, I didn't have a mom. When you're 17 years old and you look in your mom's casket, your world changes. Well, it's a trick question. Who's worth more, mom or dad? Neither. Who carries the most responsibility? Anybody want to answer that question? Dad, right? Mm -hmm. He's the head of the home. So who determined that your dad was going to be a boy? So Joe's going to have a baby, and we don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be a boy or girl. So you didn't go to McDonald's and say, I, I'd like to have a boy. So they give you a boy. Now, who decides? Who the girls are going to be in the congregation here and who the boys are going to be in the congregation. Who's, who decides who the mom's going to be? Who decides that 
dad's going to be. God does, right? All right? So we don't function on worth. Right? But we function because God decided what job was going to be whose. You see, God decided your dad is going to be a dad. And he decided that the dad's supposed to be the head of the home. That's what the Bible says. So it's not value. It's not worth. It's just equals the same responsibility diverse. Right? Absolutely. Equals the same responsibilities diverse. And you notice in Jesus in, in, in John 8, he said, neither came I of myself, but he, meaning the Father, sent me. Jesus didn't ask for his job. You ever think about that? I think, based on the Bible, and our Anabaptist heritage and the way we've done things, I think it is excellent that God through the church decides who's going to do what. Value the same, responsibility different. Jesus didn't campaign for his job. And I don't think we should either. Jesus says, that's how the Gentiles think. Gentiles have pecking order. Gentiles want the big job. Gentiles, but he said, no, no, not among you, servants. servants. You see, let's back up 25 billion years ago. What made the Trinity work smooth? What was it? It was the plan that God had for not only the Godhead, but for us also. It was in the heart of God. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with me. It, because the world wasn't even existent, let alone anybody here. Because the Trinity moves in perfect, smooth coordination. Because of the plan of God, that is an extension, does the same thing as we apply the same principles to us 
today, beginning with me personally, how do I relate? What does God want me to do? See, we don't ask for the job. We don't say, God put me here. Please put me there. I think I could do this okay. We don't do that. But when we're asked, it is our responsibility in humility and joy fulfill those responsibilities God has through His plan given to us and recognize the security that God also puts all around us. Now I'm not, I, I, I don't have time to go into all this, okay, but, but Nelson Showalter and I, we have this little thing back and forth, you know, he, he's part of a he's part of a conference and I'm part of a fellowship. All right, so 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 he he says he has to go to executive meetings and I said, Nelson, Nelson, come on, stop. Uh, that that don't sound right to me. E- executive meetings. I mean, you know, it's like I didn't know that 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 those terms are supposed to be in our vocabulary. And yeah, well, I said it's kind of left over from years ago, or he'd make some lame excuse, you know, and and uh, you know, and 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 we talk about this, you know, it's like, um, you know, he says we have so much bureaucratic red tape, we don't get anything done. And I said, you know what, the honest opinion is, we don't have enough bureaucratic tape to get anything done. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like. But one thing I enjoy about a fellowship is that I feel personally responsibility to every bishop in Midwest Fellowship. I do. I don't feel that personal responsibility from one person. Now, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying they do that. I hope they don't. All right, <laughs> Whatever. I'm just simply saying that The security that God has placed around me helps give my heart peace when I feel like I have more than God, I have more to do than and, and than I have the ability to do. One thing I like about John 17 is Jesus is talking about love. He keeps coming, talking about love and love and love, love that the Father had to do, love that the love that He has for the Father, love for the Father has to Him, His love for the disciples, disciples' love for the Father, disciples' love to Him, His and all, and it's just this love is just passing around to everybody and finding itself worked out in service. You see, love, if it's true, love will express itself in compassionate service.
said I think I've said this before that I, but I do have a poster on my right smack in front of my desk that says being a bishop does not confer privilege nor give power it imposes responsibility and rest assured it does When I was ordained, uh, yeah, the evening came and I decided, you know, we'll go to church and we'll get this all over with. The other brother will be ordained because he is older than I am and certainly well more capable. And so uh, this is uh, this is a little blip in the radar screen here and, and this is how it'll go. Well, I got a seriously rude awakening. I can honestly say I never coveted church leadership. Never. I personally would rather have somebody else call the shots where the buck stops. I always... They never asked me to be principal of Marianne Bible School, and I never wanted it. Absolutely not. I just envy people that can be a principal of Marianne Bible School and make decisions and turn around in their chair and go back to work. And I'm trying to think about what's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen next week and what could happen the month before or after that. And I, I try to think in all these dimensions, and I, I just uh, I just get overwhelmed with decision making. I don't really like it. I will say at this point, and, and it's just to the Prairie congregation, is that my tenure is coming to a close. You know that, and I know that. A while back, we had this little vote thing about if you thought that within the Lord's will that we have an ordination and when the ordination should be, and that at that point, I was asking for a bishop ordination in 2020. Now, I wanted to retire at 65, which I will be this year. But Brother Arnie talked me into 67. And because I made that commitment to Arnie, by the grace of God, if I live, I will do up to 67. All right? So we're, we're talking two years here. It is my goal at this point not to start the transfer of responsibility in 2020. But my goal is to, at 2020, that the trans transfer of responsibility will have be complete. In other words, 
I am going into preparation mode. That's what I'm doing. Now I'll be right up front with you. And so that brings all kind of dynamics. But they say that every leader should work himself out of a job. That's what I intend to do. Work myself out of a job. I'm not going to live forever. Uh, um, you know, I thought that if I get old, that everything just kind of smoothly goes on, you know, and whatever. But when transition at work and transition at church comes at the same time, it kind of gets a little disconcerting. It's like, well, what's going to happen next? But you know what? God's here. He always was, and He always will be. There's a lot to building church. But if we are one, as God intends us to be, How can we go wrong? If we are one with Him as He is with the Father and He has the plan set out for every congregation in this world as groups of believers, we can rest in the exact same security that Jesus did when he said, you gave me a job, and I rest in the fact that I have done what I can. I've done what I, you told me to do. I have fulfilled it to the best of my responsibility. Now, we're different than Jesus because, oh, wow, I mean, I can't, nobody in leadership can actually, you know, keep, live up to Jesus' example. But we do what we can. And God in His mercy, He reaches down. And He cares. And He loves us like Christ loves the church. And in that process, we can do exactly the same thing that Jesus did. When He said, I've come to preach to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted, bring light, light to the blind, minister to the bruised. That's what I'm here for. And that's what we're here for. That is our goal. That is our mission. And Jesus said, I will build my church. What a tremendous truth. That we, as God's people, can claim to. He said, it's my church, I will build it. May God help us as we do our part.